Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com or hyperclean specialist on the Facebook group as well. I keep telling you guys about the specialist group. Go check it out. Go join. A lot of fun in there. Guys sharing a lot of work, a lot of wisdom. So uh, really proud of that group. And today we're going to get into a little bit about car prices. So I want to start today by giving you an example of something that's happening and something that I talked about on these episodes, you know, probably for the last year, uh, you know, pretty safely to say I brought this up a lot, but there was a TikTok that was getting shared around cars uh, the car world. And and I want to reference this because I think the guy did an excellent job showing the reality. So this guy was a sales manager at Kia at a Kia dealership. He had a woman come in and want to trade in her Kia Telluride. Now, for those that don't know, there were two cars that really got kind of insane out of the blue, the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade. They were going nuts the last three years, fine vehicles, uh, vehicles you should buy at a reasonable price, but they weren't reasonably priced. There was a there was a drive up in that market, like so many other markets, but that market kind of unnecessarily got driven up. So here's the story. The lady paid roughly around $80,000 for the car. At the time she came in for the trade-in, she still owed $72,000. There's a problem that now the MSRP at directly at that dealership that he shared was $42,000 for a brand new one. They're going to offer her somewhere around $38,000 for her trade-in. Let's just round it up for easy numbers here and say they were going to give her $40,000. This woman walked into the dealership having never gone through this, and now she had $32,000 in negative equity. How did this happen? Well, it's going to be a little bit of the theme that I go through today when talking about car prices is nobody ever did the math. Now, the dealership knows the math. The dealership knows they were getting premium dollar. The dealership always does the math. That's how they stay in business. She and her family never did the math. And so now you have $32,000 in negative equity. Now, what does that mean? Number one, they can't find a bank to finance for a middle-class car, 32000 in negative equity. And even if you did, the amount of interest you would have to pay on that negative equity, you'd be looking at an astronomical, you'd basically look at that $32,000 as adding 64 or even triple it with today's interest rates. Uh, $96,000 to the bottom line of whatever new car she rolled that negative equity into. Now, the Wells Fargo's of the world, they've kind of bowed out of this market. They're definitely not going to do that. And, and so now she mathematically has no way out of this car unless she wants to walk into the dealership and put $32,000 on the table and say, I want to buy out of this car for $32,000 now roll me into a new car, which they'll actually need a down payment on as well if you want to get a reasonable interest rate. So this is a forty dollars or $45,000 trip to the dealership just in cash out of this woman's hand. How do we get here? Well, 
let's look at the math of it. When you say it out loud, do you think you should pay $80,000 for a Kia? Now, there's nothing wrong with Kias. There is something wrong mathematically with an $80,000 Kia. There is something mathematically wrong with a $100,000 Jeep Wagoneer. Those are not eighty dollars or $100,000 brands. Now, I get that we all went through the last three years and we look around and we go, oh, well, you know, uh, what are you supposed to do? This is the new normal. Well, it isn't the new normal. You had supply issues that were driving the price of the market. So when there's a supply issue, you automatically have a bubble. When you have a bubble, you now have to operate mathematically as smart as you can if you're in a position to buy a car or need a car, I should say. I had an electronic system go out on a family vehicle. It was not worth me driving the headache, right? I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with it. So in the middle of the boom, we had to buy a new family SUV. Here was the reality. I still did the math. The car we ended up selling, we sold for more than we paid for. That car was completely paid off. So it was easy when they gave us four or five, 6,000 over what we even had into the car. Okay. I'm up. I'm already 6,000 to the, the, the positive. But next, I couldn't go and buy a risky vehicle. I couldn't go buy an Audi, a BMW, a Range Rover, or those types of things and think I was going to be making a great purchase. Here's why. Those cars, when things normalize, are going to depreciate pretty fast. And also, I can't really keep the car long enough mathematically to wait out the boom level pricing. And so what do we buy? We bought a high-end, the biggest Lexus SUV that they sell. We bought a dependable car. It made my family happy. My, my, my wife was, was ecstatic that, that, that she got to drive a Lexus because it made her feel comfortable. So I was able to solve a problem. When I look at that car today, we hardly owe anything on it because the SUV we traded in you know, was, was so overvalued. And even if I had a ton of money into it, there's one thing that I sat and told my wife when we bought the car. I said, hey, look, we're kind of buying this out of necessity and we're buying this at a time when I wish we didn't have to buy, it's all going to work out for us, but we're going to keep this car for five years. Now, mind you, it had like 2000 miles on it. It's got a, you know, it's got a, uh, all the, all the maintenance and everything's covered by Lexus. We don't really have a cost in this vehicle for the next two years. So the first two years, we're kind of driving it with no real, real problems. But the, the next three years, we needed the dependable brand of Lexus to say, Hey, the way to make this all work is to do one thing mathematically, and that's to keep this car for about five years. Now, my wife's not a car person. She doesn't care. She's ecstatic with the car. She loves the car. It all is going to work out in our favor because we sat down and we did the math before we walked into buy a car. When you go into a Kia dealership and you pay $80,000 for a Kia, there's one reality that I know. You never did the math. You never thought about doing the math. You just wanted the new Kia Telluride, and you thought it was this, and you thought it was that, and you thought all of this different stuff. But it doesn't make it true. And so even if we go into the collector car market and we, all, we see all this kind of stuff happening, let me share a story that was kind of put out there here in the last couple of days. You saw these limited edition vehicles like Civic Type R's going for over sticker. 
great. I don't have any problem with it going over sticker. Fun car to drive. If you like it and you have the money, pay over sticker. doesn't bother me. That's not where the math problem comes in. The math problem comes in is a lot of these cars were being bought to flip, these special edition type of cars. So here's the situation a guy just got himself in. He paid about $70,000 for the Civic Type R. Already the math bell should be ringing in your head that Honda doesn't build a whole bunch of $70,000 vehicles. Didn't go off in this guy's head. He thought he was smarter than the market. Didn't understand what was going on. So the dealerships made their money on this guy. He goes to flip it, and he can barely get a bid above $49,000. He's now got a $20,000 mistake. Now, here's the funny part. It's about a forty-two dollars to $52,000 car that he paid $70,000 for. The guy's making all kinds of stink. Oh, this car's worth more, but no, it isn't. It never was. Just because you're in insane times doesn't mean that something's worth in the real world. When you have a bubble, like we've had at times in, in 2005 to 2007 in the real estate market, when you have a bubble, the reality is the bubble is the bubble. And you have to be able to recognize the mathematical problems. That doesn't mean you can't find things that make mathematical sense. It just means you have to work harder and be more on top of your numbers. So let me give you an example that you guys have all heard about, and I'll walk you through my process of doing the mathematics on a collector car or a car you think is going to be somewhat of a collectible. Number one, that doesn't mean you're going to make money on it. It just means your cost of ownership, driving it around for a couple years, should be fairly low, right? If you drive a car around for two years, enjoy it, have a great time, and you sell it for $5,000 less than you paid, that's pretty cheap mileage, especially if you enjoyed the car. You've paid roughly, what, $200 a month to enjoy this car you wanted to own? That's a pretty damn good deal. But I see all these people that want to make money in the car market, and they don't want to do fourth-grade level math. They don't want to do any homework. And it's fine by me. I mean, this is where I've made my money for the last 15, 20 years of buying and selling cars is that I am banking on the fact that most people aren't going to do math, which is the exact same thing that dealerships have been banking on for a hundred years, that you're not going to do the math. And if you don't do the math, guess what happens? They win. And so that's why everybody gets pissed off at dealerships. It's not that they ripped you off. It's that they do the math and you don't. That's where all of this starts. It starts from not wanting to put pad, excuse me, pen to paper and actually do some homework. So let me walk you through the BMW purchase. For those that haven't heard, I bought a 2008 BMW M3 and I bought it at auction. Well, I didn't win it at auction. I won it after the auction when the guy who screwed up the auction couldn't come up with the money. And now I'm even in a bigger power play mathematically. So here's what I did. I spent about an hour or two before this auction went live, and I went and I researched all the data on bring a trailer, P car market, wherever. What is going on with this specific model of BMW that I want to own? And I gathered all the numbers. Here was the sales from the last 90 to 120 days. I may even extend that out to the last six months or a year in some cases. And I'll start to put together 
an average of what this car is really worth. Now, you got to be cognizant of mileage and all of these different things. But I quickly realized if I can pick this car up for less than $40,000, I'm going to be in a good spot. But I also had to take an educated guess at something. It's a six-speed manual, which I know are becoming more desirable. It's a driver's car. It's one of the great cars BMW ever built. It wasn't one of the crap cars they built. So I know there's going to be an enthusiast market for these cars. That's a calculated mathematical risk. And as I looked around, I saw some sold for in the 50s, some sold in the 30s, some sold in the 40s. And I go, I think the floor has now been reset on this market, not because it's a bubble price, but because I think these cars are going to be more valuable in the future. Because especially as BMW releases more new cars that are crap, that people don't enjoy, those that are BMW enthusiasts are going to be looking at these older vehicles in a different light. And that's exactly what's happened. Same with Porsche, same with certain Ferraris and Lamborghinis. You look at the Gallardo price uh, for Lamborghini, especially, there's a, another great instance of a lot of people didn't really love those cars, but now all of a sudden you see the market being reset. So now you sit in this position and you look around and you go, this is the calculated risk I'm going to take, but I've done the math before the auction. This could go for a muscle car. This could go for any car in the world. This is how it works. And so I thought to myself, if I get it below $40,000 or I get it 40,000 and below, I don't think these cars ever really get back to the car that I'm looking at with the mileage. I don't think they get below 32 to $34,000. So there's my new floor. So now I've already set what I think is my downside. And now above 32 to 34,000, everything above that is gravy. So now you see why, why I set the price at, if I get this at 40 or below, I don't have a bunch of downside. I've now minimized my risk. And that's a mathematical thing that you have to do in the collector car market. If you want to be successful long-term. And again, I have a bunch of clients they could blow $100 million on cars, and it's not there. This isn't how they look at it. But I'm not somebody that can blow $100 million. Many of you listening are not people that, that can blow $100 million. So we're having a different conversation about the 99%. The 1% is what's driven everybody's thought on the collector car market, and the 1% is not affected by the economy. They're buying whatever car they want to own at whatever price. It doesn't matter to them. So looking at them as, as a representation of what's going on in the car market, which is what's happened in the last 10 years, is absolutely foolish. But it's given guys like me a leg up because when I want to go buy a car that, that has some thought to it, like this kind of car, I can win. Doesn't mean I'm going to win this exact auction. There's a second piece to this. Doesn't matter if you're buying a new car, a used car, or a collectible. If you're emotional about that car, you're going to overpay 100% of the time. I wasn't emotional. I'm not emotional about cars. The best piece of advice I can give on cars is they sell them every day. There's not a single car I've missed out on that I don't think I can go purchase somewhere down the road in my life if I really want to own it. So there's no reason to be emotional. This is why brand car guy is so easy to take advantage of. Porsche guy. Dodge truck guy, Ford guy, Chevy guy, Corvette guy. You can take advantage of them because they're so emotional about this one brand of car that they'll overpay every time they ever purchase one. 
because they're emotional. So take the emotion out of it. You can always get another one, man. There's always another truck to buy. There's always another car to buy. You're not missing out. None of this stuff is rare enough to worry about. And I remember a one-on-one car that I was involved in with one of my collectors, and he had the greatest thing I've ever heard. It was one of one. You couldn't, you couldn't find another one. He goes, I'll be able to buy it next time. I'm like, next time? Just the way he thought about it. Because he's successful and he understands, yeah, things always come for sale. I'll figure out where to buy this next time. I don't want to buy it now. Not the price I want it. Had all the money in the world. He just didn't want to do it. And he was exactly right because he ended up owning that car maybe three to five years later, somewhere in that ballpark. There's always another car to buy, man. Don't get emotional. And so as the auction went on, as many of you know, there was an inherent idiot bidder. I knew he was an idiot. I knew there was a problem with the auction. I contacted the auction house afterwards and said, hey, pass this on to the, to the owner if the sale falls through. The guy calls me. He's highly emotional to sell. The deal falls through. The seller's emotional. And so even my high bid, I wasn't going to pay. I told him, I'll, I'll pay all in transport and everything, $38,000. He went back and forth, back and forth. I just stayed steady because, again, I was okay missing out. Now it was my chance to put the mathematical thing in my advantage. There's not massive sales tax on private sales here in Nevada. I'm into that car $38,000. If I'm correct and the bottom of the market is 32 to 34, I can drive this car around for the next couple of years, enjoy the hell out of it, have fun with it, test some hyper clean products on it, have a lot of fun, drive fast, all those types of things. Maybe go to a track day. I can do all of those things. I can do every single one of those things and maybe only ever have the opportunity to lose $4,000. That's a hell of a deal. Now, my banking, because of what the math that I did in my head, I think I have nothing but upside. But I can't not acknowledge there's a bit of a downside, but I don't think this car is going back down to twenty grand. I don't think it's going to go back down to thirty grand. And even if it did, I know I can find buyers to give me my money back and more. And so there's the mathematical problem people don't do. Just like the Civic Type R I just said. The market's going down, man. You're trying to flip the car. If you paid 70, you want to flip it for 80, 90, and probably in his head, he thought he had a $100,000 vehicle. The reality is he had nothing close to that. And now the market's telling him that. And so we get into this place where people don't understand what's happening. Let me share another story with you. So I've told you guys the problem with the GT market in Porsche. The reason I know it so well is because I have so many people involved in it. And so I had a doctor friend of mine come to me and he and, uh, purchased our services to help him through the market. And I said, okay, here's what you're going to have to do. Over the next five years, you're probably going to have to purchase somewhere between 10 and 15 cars, more likely 15 cars from this Porsche dealership to move up their list and get on the GT list. But it all started with a math conversation. How much money do you have to waste on cars you don't really want to get yourself onto the GT list? And then once you're on the GT list, you always have to take the allocation every time. Are you ready to do that? Well, look, I don't have unlimited money, but yeah, I want to do this. It was bad. It was a bad decision. I told him that and he still went with it. Okay. The original thing I told him was, go buy a used GT3 and enjoy the GT3. Don't go through this process. His whole thing is he wanted new ones. Perfect. Your decision. 
So about five years in, he's about 15 cars in of cars he really didn't want to own. And it's not like he owned bad cars. It's just cars that he wasn't passionate about. You know, he was buying a bunch of Macans and Cayennes and 911 Turbos and things he didn't really want, but he played the game. Guess what happened? He never got on the GT list. So about five years in, he comes to me and he goes, I'm having an issue. I can't keep doing this. It's killing my finances. By my estimation and his estimation, he lost between fifty dollars and $750,000 doing this. He could have bought three GT3s at the time, two, G, two GT3s for sure on the used market, didn't want to do it. So he gets to the end of the five years, and guess what the math says? You shouldn't have done this. It was a math problem from the beginning. It wasn't a car problem. It was a math problem. And so guess what he does at the end of five years is he buys a used GT3. Never been happier. Five hundred to $750,000 in the hole later, he made a mathematical error. Now, he makes a ton of money. His family's going to recover from it, but it's gone. That money's up in smoke because he didn't want to do the math problem. He didn't want to understand that it was a, 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 a rigged type of system, for lack of a better word, in my opinion, and he got used and abused by the market because he wasn't willing to do the math five years earlier. And the same goes for all you auto detailers listening to this. If you do the math on your business prior to doing anything else, you'll be successful. Plain and simple. Doesn't matter if it's me. Doesn't matter if it's Marty. Doesn't matter if it's you guys. Every company's got to do the math. How do we make money? How long does it take us to do the service? What cost do we have into the service? And here's kind of a red flag. The reason I always talk about chemicals and the way people are trying to cheap out on chemicals is this way. If you do a $500 detail, more than likely you have less than $10 in chemicals into that $500 detail, all in. If you've done the math, you're not out there trying to save nickels on chemicals because the chemical price is not even in the top three of your biggest expenses. So the number one way that I look at somebody and go, have they done the math on their business is if I get a conversation about chemical cost. Because as a detailer, chemical cost isn't that big of a deal. It's not even in the top three. Like I said, as a line item in my business, it's not something I talk to my accountant about. When you do the math, your life changes in the car business because you know where the cost and the weaknesses are and, and the different things going on. And you go, here's what I'm going to worry about. Here's what I'm not going to stress. Chemicals are not a mathematical stress on a detailer's business. Not if they're operating properly. That's hard for guys to hear. The only way you lose in the car business is you're the one in the sale that didn't do the math. That's been true 50 years ago, and that's true today. And it's more true today because you had a random time called the pandemic that, that shifted the car market and pricing and got out of whack. Always ask yourself a simple thing. How much does it cost to do what I'm trying to do? What's a reasonable thing? This doesn't mean you're cheap. I'm not cheap on cars. I'm not cheap on chemicals. I'm not cheap on anything in my life. Marty will tell you that. I try to do everything the right way mathematically the first time. And it isn't because I'm some math wizard. It's because I graduated to fourth grade and I can do addition and subtraction. I mean that as, as, as simple as it gets. You don't need a secret to the detailing business. I know people are selling you thousands of dollars in training to give you the secret. But if you do the math, the secret is solved.
can I make money doing this? And if I can make money at a high level, I've solved the problem. Now it's just a sales and marketing issue. But I got to solve the math problem. That's one of the things that I look at over and over and over again as what I'm seeing in the car market now. And I'm getting calls all the time, guys underwater about and, and cars. I even had a conversation about a guy that bought a GT3 for like $295,000, had to recently sell it for two sixty-five dollars because he saw the bottom falling out. This is happening everywhere. But somebody wants to look at a rare Ferrari being sold at auction and say, look how strong the auction market is. Well, yeah, man, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% is always going to be pretty damn strong. Doesn't mean it's not going to go down a little bit, but it's always going to be a strong part of the market because it, the economy doesn't affect those buyers. So I thought today I would lead with the mathematical problems going on in the car market. And that tell you ride, by the way, is a story that's happening in the truck market, the car market, every brand market. That's what's going on. Not going to evade it. So now you better just wait it out. If you're the woman that owns that Kia Telluride, you got one out. Pay the car off or pay the car down to a point where there's fifteen dollars or $20,000 left on that note and you can get yourself out of that car. But you're going to own that car for some years. The days of trading in for a lot of these people every two to three years, if they bought at the height of the market, it's not going to happen. Not unless they walk with a big check to get themselves out of the hole, which I don't know how many middle class or, or slightly upper class people that really pertains to. Many people don't have 30 grand to just go blow to get out of negative equity. And it's understandable, but you made a mistake. You got to write it out. I want to finish today talking about vinyl wraps. For whatever reason, you'll have these times in your business where things will, I don't know, kind of, you'll get a lot of calls about something random. And the last three to four months, I've gotten probably six or seven phone calls about vinyl wrap. Now, here's the interesting thing. I can go on the internet and find people bashing ceramic coatings and PPF. It's very hard to find the truth about vinyl wrap. And so let me tell you the truth here in Las Vegas of vinyl wrap have a customer call me. His daughter wants to buy a car. The car doesn't come in the color that she wants. So she wants to change it to the color she wants. Perfect. I got no problem. We'll do that for you. How long does your daughter keep cars? Now I know this family really well. It, she keeps her cars forever, seven, eight years. She's only owned a couple cars and she's 37 years old. Okay. I said, okay, there's, there's point number one. So point number two, your daughter doesn't take good care of her cars. We've seen her cars before. He goes, yeah, she doesn't take good care. I said, okay. So now she's got to change that behavior. He starts to understand more. Here in the desert, in a lot of areas that get sun, vinyl wraps become a headache at about the two-year mark, 24 to 36 months. So if she owns it eight years, she's going to need to probably replace this wrap two to three times. That's if she takes good care of it. Could be more. I said, and the other thing is you can't just say, well, I'll leave the vinyl wrap on there forever. I said, the thing's just going to start to disintegrate. And if you have a problem and it has to come off and you waited four years, you're going to have a massive problem getting this off the car. And also you could pull the paint when you start to pull this wrap off. Like here's the thing that I see all the time on Teslas. I like it when I see color change wraps. I'm like, oh man, a Tesla looks pretty cool. I understand that this is an aesthetic product. It's not a product that's meant to 
really do a whole lot. It's an aesthetic product. I'm cool with that. Try to pull a vinyl wrap off a three or four year old Tesla here in the desert and you're pulling paint. How many people have been told that? Now, if you trade your car every two years, you got a McLaren, you want to change the color on and you're going to own it a year and a half. I'm all for it. That's not going to be your problem. But the reality is, for whatever reason, vinyl wrap has has escaped the hatred that ceramics or PPF will receive online at times. And there's a complete misunderstanding about it. Now, why is that? Well, most vinyl wrap shops don't ever tell the truth about vinyl wrap. Most detailers or, or what I call high-class shops don't do a ton of vinyl wrap. They'll do some. They'll do some chrome deletes and different things like that to kind of wear a little bit better than, than covering the whole car. But here's an interesting thing to me. While so many people tell the story of ceramics and PPF and, and the knowledge is kind of out there, I don't feel like vinyl wrap has nearly gotten that kind of run. And I see a bunch of vinyl wrapped cars out here. And I can tell you time and again, the issues that we run in trying to get them off. You can just look at your local plumbing truck when you pull the vinyl wrap off and how hard it is. And they left it on there for years. We know the truth about vinyl. Yet the consumer seems to be completely in the dark. PPF, a lot more education out there, a lot more top flight education, a lot more top flight education about ceramic coating out there. Again, I know there's bad stuff in each one of those, but the bad stuff in vinyl never gets discussed. It's the wildest thing in the world for me to get these phone calls and essentially have 0% of the people know the facts about vinyl wrap. And these are guys that have done their research. I know for a fact this customer does his research. And he didn't have anywhere near the information he needed to give great information to his daughter. By the time we got off the phone, final wrap's not right for her. She's never going to care for it. She's never going to have it replaced. She's going to have thousands of dollars in removal costs and all this other kind of stuff. But you know what fits her is a ceramic coating. She is actually a, the direct person that needs a ceramic coating because she's never going to care for a car properly. She needs to give her paint job some type of prayer against the sun in Vegas. And that's where we ended the conversation. Hey, man, vinyl wrap is badass. I love some of the talented stuff I see in the vinyl wrap business. I'm just kind of having a conversation today as how's there so little truth about vinyl wrap on the Internet when there's so much truth about ceramic coating and PPF and the positives and the negatives and all those different types of things. It's really an amazing thing to see. And it only came to my mind because, look, I had several phone calls in the last three to six months about it. So I thought I would share it here. I just found it interesting. It's nothing against vinyl wrap. I, I love Chrome deletes and different things that people do. I love cool full body wraps that, that change the color to something unique. I'm all in, but I also know the truth about vinyl wrap. So it's no big deal to me. We now have a consumer base that seems the least educated of any of these big time services that I see. And I thought I would share that today. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.